Okay, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 to 18, on spiritual gifts, um, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you, be, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles, carried away, unto those, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are, diver now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh, but all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, or one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were, one, were an eye, where were, the, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him." May be seated. Today I want to um, bring the third of uh, three sermons on the spiritual gifts. I um, feel like um, even though I've spent time studying and speaking three times now on this subject, I feel like I've in many ways, merely scratch the surface. I think there's more that needs, that could be said, that perhaps even should be said. And uh, I, I want to just continue my encouragement for you all to continue to engage in studying this and uh, discussing it in smaller groups or um, families or however you feel uh, you can best um, continue to learn about this, and to, uh, we can teach each other in this way. <clears throat> on the first sermon, uh, we focused on the passage in Ephesians 4, and the, um, in Ephesians 4, it's, it teaches on the ministry gifts. And the uh, purpose for these gifts is to equip God's people, according to verse 12 in Ephesians 4. I believe the list of gifts as they're given there in Ephesians 4 are functions in a church. They are not necessarily titles. Uh, 
God has entrusted the church with functions that healthy churches do. It is a way for God to get his work done on earth. Additionally, in that sermon, we looked at the passage in 1 Corinthians um, in first, in 2 Corinthians 12, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 is what it should say there. And it talks about how that the uh, spiritual gifts uh, are given as a manifestation, is the word that's used in the King James Version. That actually means, that's another word for miracle or signs. And I think understanding the purpose of spiritual gifts um, Goes, us, goes a long way in helping us to uh, not only understand others, but also to understand God. There are several things that I uh, want to especially highlight in this sermon. It is uh, maybe a bit of review from previous sermons. I'll be saying some of the same things that I said in other sermons. And as I um, focused on developing this particular sermon, I... Um, will also be repeating myself. I'm doing that sort of intentionally, uh, number one, to remind me of the purpose of the gifts, but also to help you as my listeners to understand what I believe the Bible teaches to be primary about in relation to spiritual gifts, lessons that, that we should and should not miss, that we, sh that we can gather as we study spiritual gifts. <clears throat> I think it's rather unfortunate that um, I, th I feel like too much of what we have seen in past decades in relation to teaching on spiritual gifts have revolved around movements or certain individuals and certain churches in certain places in the world or in certain places of this country and, and uh, uh, it is so unfortunate that as these places and movements have developed, that they have also been discovered to be complicit with financial scandals, and even more, just as unfortunately, sexual scandals have also attached themselves to these movements. And I think it has clouded and um, made spiritual gifts something that in some cases have become avoided and have not been understood and because of the negative connotations that have connected themselves to it. I have often in his epistle describes these as false teachers who are waterless springs or mists, vapors that are here today, gone tomorrow. And Again, I think that these passages, these, this study on spiritual gifts has become distorted and where they hold less objectivity for us. And I think that's very unfortunate. There are two primary things that I see as um, lessons or purposes for the study of spiritual gifts. And, and again, here is, here is some of the thoughts that I am repeating and I... Yeah, I'm doing that on purpose. I think that as we study the spiritual gifts, I think for me, one of the things that stands out especially is how we see God's love expressed in all the gifts. In this study, we see how God's love is expressed. 
in the variety of ways, different ways that God uses to express his love to us, and also ways that we express our love for God. It is in 1 Corinthians 12, we read about all these diversities and these yeah, relatively complex and striking diversities that comprise the body. In fact, to the degree that these parts are missing is the corresponding degree to which the body is handicapped. And I think it's something that, that I need to learn, that we together need to learn. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, where there's an, another list of gifts given there. We've talked about that in, an, in the previous sermon, the motivational gifts. It uses the words, gifts differing. They're, given, they're gifts that are given by God. They're not necessarily designed to be in it and do exactly the same. They have... They have different expressions, and it, it brings out the fullness of God's love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, the other passage of list of gifts, and it goes into relatively uh, length there to talk about how that these gifts are given so that we can be brought to unity. And I think, obviously, that unity is to be realized here on earth, but I think there's all, even a, a partial degree of unity where these compel us and push us toward God, where one day we will be in His presence and unity will be fulfilled in ways that we can only imagine here on earth. So I think the gifts help us to understand God's love and His purposes are demonstrated, proclaimed, and displayed through the gifts. And then also, I think the gifts give us direction and purpose in life. The gifts give direction. I think knowing that each of us has a gift, according to Scripture, each of us have been given at least one primary gift, and all of us, I think, have secondary gifts that God has given us. They have been given to us by God. The Holy Spirit has filled our lives, and as a result of that filling, there is a purpose that God wants us to be involved in while we're here on earth. And I think as we mature in our understanding of spiritual gifts, we can learn to be channels of God's blessing as we exercise those gifts in His kingdom. In the last sermon... We looked at the motivational gifts, and I want to uh, continue on that just a little bit. So in order to do that, I think I want to just uh, spin through these very rapidly. I spent almost an entire sermon talking about these uh, motivational gifts. The list is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. And uh, I prepared these slides as I um, uh, went through it. Now, again, um, circling back to what I had been saying, um, as I was thinking about object lessons or illustrations for the spiritual gifts at work in a church, 
I was drawn to what we know as Amish barn raisings. I, I actually had the privilege of helping at least twice in my memory where uh, there was uh, some sort of catastrophe, a fire, I think, in one case. In another case, there was a strong wind, and the neighbors descended, and, and the community came together and, yeah, rebuilt that barn. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And if this picture were zoomed out just a little bit, you can see all of the are different. The people are not doing exactly the same thing. And if the picture were zoomed out even more, you would see lots of people working on the ground, doing things to prepare and to help those that are working on the roof, those that are starting with the siding, those that are, yeah, there's somebody that's overseeing this whole thing. There's a group of somebodies that is calling the shots. There are other people who are preparing food and, and doing... Um, yeah, providing f physically in ways for people. And yeah, I think that is uh, a good object lesson or one illustration of what God wants to accomplish here at Weavertown Church and whatever group that we um, interact with. So the different gifts as they're listed in Romans chapter 12, it says that there is a, the gift of prophecy. And we have some notable... Uh, characteristics that are especially um, outstanding for people with this gift. Then there's the gift of ministry or serving. And again, numerous strengths and positive um, things that people with this gift bring to the group. Teachers. Exhorters. Givers rulers or administrators, and then finally the gift of mercy or compassion. All of we primary most of us other gifts teaching on this. To Romans 12 to be ignorant. I think it's also uh, maybe a bit of an irony. It is also uh, instructive, I think, to look at the context here in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church was a, a uh, Corinth was sort of an, um, the center of academia in that day, and they were uh, smart. They were people that had things figured out, and Paul mentions in this context that they were behind or they were not lacking in any gift. They had them all. But it's clear in reading through the book of 1 Corinthians that they were using the gifts selfishly. And so Paul is instructing them how to use the gifts in a positive way. And what does that mean for them? God doesn't want us to be ignorant about gifts. Secondly, why were the gifts given? Why were the gifts given in the first place? Well, if you look at Ephesians 4, I can see a handful of reasons given for that, and I've already touched on some of these. Therefore, the equipping of the believers. For the equipping of the believers, you are given a gift for the benefit of others. 
The gift that you've been given is not necessarily for your benefit, although I will quickly say that as you exercise your gift, there's a blessing. There's a sense of joy and fulfillment that you, that you get. But the gift is given for others. And I think we just need to get that very clear and straight in our minds. God gave the gift for the benefit of the whole. It is not necessarily you primarily getting the gift or the, the benefit of the gift. Along with that, I think it, as we study the gifts and as we realize why gifts are given, <clears throat> it is a tremendous aid in understanding others. I think as we look at gifts and we study gifts, it allows us to understand others and their motivations or their purpose for what they do. The gifts are given for others. The gift that you received is for the good of others. It is not primarily for you. And then there's the edification of others. And edifice is another word for building. It's not a word that we use very commonly, but it has the idea of building up. The word edify means to construct or to put together in a way that, that uh, makes, creates something beautiful. So it's for the edification so that the church can grow, Ephesians tells us, so that we come to maturity. We're no longer children in our understanding, of, uh, but we grow together as we work together. And then it's for the effectiveness of the whole church. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, there are numerous verses that talk about that. And that's especially brought out in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says that the whole body may profit. What you're doing when you exercise your gift is bringing profit to the whole church. So when you exercise your spiritual gift here at Weavertown, you are enabling the entire church. You're empowering the whole church. We have this word called synergy, and it is best described in numerous ways where there is a team of people, and we say the whole, uh, let me see, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is, is the way we, we describe it, where when you have synergy, the entirety, the whole scope of what gets done is much greater than the individual parts, sort of like the bone raising. There is, a, there is an aspect where when a group of people do something together, or a team of people, or a team of horses, or whatever uh, illustration you want to use, it's, not, it, it's no longer one plus one equals two, but it's one plus one equals three. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And again, it is fascinating to me that this teaching comes in the book of Corinthians. And you can see in an earlier chapters, in the earlier part of the book of Corinthians, these Corinthians were, had developed into competitors and rivals with each other. There was factions and groups. There were people that said, oh, Paul's my guy. I, I'm a follower of Paul. And then there was other people that said, no, I, I follow Peter. And I, uh, the third group that's mentioned there is, as I said, there are disciples of Apollos. They had become rivals and competitors with each other. And I think if you look at the life of Peter and Paul and Apollos, you can see that there's a, 
They, they all have unique and, I think, different gifts, as close as I can tell from my evaluation. And I've noticed something in, along that line. We struggle with that in our day today, where in spite of the fact that gifts are given to complement each other, we tend to see it as competition and rivalry. And I think we need to teach ourselves to be rid of that. For instance, I've already noticed that in church splits, for example, where there's church divisions, you have clusters of gifts that associate with each other. So there's a split in a church. You have some of the gifts tend to go one direction, the other gifts go, and both of them are incomplete. They need each other. And instead of seeing each other as, as helpful, they see each other as rivals and com competitors. I couldn't help but think about the poem, the parable about the six men of Indostan. And I'm just going to give it here for what it's worth. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, E'en the blindest man can tell what this resembles most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth, no longer, no sooner had begun about the beast to group than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, they all were in the wrong. Why were the gifts given? Fourthly, here I see that the gifts are given for the exaltation of Christ. And the verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 brings that out as clear as could be. God has given us these gifts so that Jesus is lifted up in our midst. And that brings me to the next question. What was Jesus' gift? 
What was Jesus' spiritual gift? I think he had them all. And I think as the divine son of God, he demonstrated them all perfectly. And I think it's for good reason that we're commanded and instructed to be like Christ, to become like him, to allow those gifts that he has placed in our lives to be developed so that the negatives become less irritating to others, so that the positives become more helpful, so that we're not destructive even in our positives aspects of the gift. <clears throat> How do we go about determining the gifts that God has given us? How do we discover which gifts God has given me? How do you go about discovering gifts that God has given you? As I was going through the descriptions and spinning through that in the last sermon and then again this morning, my guess is that there's probably some of those that resonated with you. And I think the reason they resonated is because that is or probably is your gift. And I think those, that can be an, uh, an affirmation of what God wants you to do. Friends, just develop us, even prior and I Clearly, the one's gift is, gives it. We're not. But I think the gifts are often clarified and confirmed to us by the people around us, the people that God has given us. Christian friends help us identify the gifts that we've been given, that God has given to us. If you're still unsure, and I, I think that we can spend time in prayer. And again, I think God is a faithful God. When we ask, he gives us answers, the Bible tells us, and I think he will make it clear to us what is our purpose and what is the gift that God wants us to be exercising. I suggested the uh, book by Don and Katie Fortune, and that's one of several books that you can read. You can take um, tests, I think, that describe the spiritual gifts, and you can analyze some of the things, a list of questions. And that can be a way to, uh, to guide us as well. I, I do want to give us a word of caution. And I, I think sometimes that we can become tainted by experiences of life or things that have uh, even, even tendencies in our families, perhaps tendencies in our personalities, can uh, sort of shape us and cause us to think a certain way. And I, I think that even when we, as we take tests, I think the results can maybe be taken with a pinch of salt. But be sure to keep pursuing that, uh, what you find in prayer, asking God and others around you how, how your gift can best be utilized and what is the gift that God has given to you. I think maybe the most practical and perhaps the, most, the hardest hitting part of this question for me, I think as you go about thinking about your gift, and what your contribution is here at Weavertown. Think about it this way. So when you think about Weavertown Church, what, what about Weavertown Church bugs you the most? And I hear people sometimes, most times in a very nice way, say, man, our, our church, we just can't get people to help. We just can't get people to serve on committees. And we just need people to take charge. 
And we need teaching on a certain area. And why don't people give? Or this church just doesn't care about needs in our church. Well, the reason that stands out to you is because that's your gift. The reason you are struck by that is because that's, that's you. That's for you to exercise. That's why it stands out to you. Right now, the building's pretty quiet. <laughs> but in, in complete seriousness, yeah, that's, that's what God wants you to exercise. That's why you're here. That's why he brought you into this building. That's why he brought you into this fellowship. So what are we to do when we know what our spiritual gifts are? I think, first of all, when we discover what our spiritual gift is or might be, I think we should find a place to serve. Ultimately, that's, that's the, that is the, one of the most basic principles of the Christian faith and of the Christian church, is that we reach out to people around us. It's one of the things that I think is one of the sturdiest points about the Christian faith is that our background and our history is the story of people not isolating themselves. It's not just God and me. It's God and we, God and us. And I think that's a huge strength, not only of the Amish and Mennonite culture, but of the Christian church as a whole. You can see it starting in Acts and all the way through the church history is, is full of examples of this. And so we find a place to serve. We volunteer is another way of saying that. We do things for people. We get involved. And I think that is going to naturally utilize one of your gifts. Because like I said, the things that are outstanding to you are the things that it's an indication of what your job and your role is. So we find a place to serve others. And as you serve, you might notice how fulfilling or how easy it is for you. You have ideas for how to do it. You have ways of um, pulling it off and, and to, you have creative ideas. And yeah, I think that can be a confirmation. As you serve, you will find that as you flex that spiritual muscle, that it becomes more natural for you to do that. And again, I think it is also just super important for us to remember this point, and that is that our gifts can be used in many different ways. So our spiritual gifts, while there are maybe certain um, positives or 
certain trends that you can see in the spiritual gifts, I do not think that we should ever feel like it's the only way or that there's one certain way for that to be exercised. And I'm going to talk about that just a little later. If an assignment comes along and it doesn't, you don't find joy in that, you don't find spiritual satisfaction, you don't find um, fulfillment in that, um, yeah, remember that your gift can be used in many different ways. And thirdly, do it with joy. I think joy is a great indicator of, of what our gift is. The thing that you're doing, does it, does it bring fulfillment to you? And whatever, whatever you're doing, even, even in those times of unfulfillment, do it with joy. Do it with, with a heart for, for others. Some problems with the gifts. I think the person who has this, leave this repeated and, and so I'm better. Or I have this gift and so I should be the spokesman in church. Or I have this gift and so I should be doing this certain thing. And Paul has some strong words of rebuke and instruction for them. And I think those words are for us today as well. I would like to just leave us with a strong word of caution on this behalf. The fact that you have a gift does not make you better than a person who does not have a corresponding gift. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't give you on the inside track with God. Your discovering what your gift is does not give you license to brag about it. It does not give you uh, reason to draw attention to yourself. Like I said, the gifts are given for the benefit of others. And it's entirely possible for us as we look at this study of spiritual gifts that we lose sight of Jesus and his purpose for the gifts in, in the first place. I think our gifts can become idols to us. And we start to flaunt our gifts as a means of manipulation or power or gaining control over people and and relationships and get, get, trying to gain control of, of certain outcomes and those kinds of things. Yeah, let's avoid that. The gift is given so that we can help others. And then there's the specialist problem. Someone can maybe say, well, my neighbor living next door uh, there's a, it's just, it's a mess over there. They, they need to be witnessed to, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't even really have a, a speaking gift. My gift is, yeah, I'm not good with, uh, with words. And so somebody should go witness to my neighbor, but since I don't have that gift, um, we let ourselves off the hook when it comes to obeying God's commands. And I want to emphasize here that I think we're, there is a sense where we're all exhorted to exhort. We're all exhorted to teach. We're all exhorted to lead. And whatever the gifts are, that I think it's true for nearly all of the gifts. Um, some of us do these things more up front. Some of us tend to do it more behind the scenes. But we should never allow ourselves to slip into some unbiblical mindset as a result of that. So if you're called to teach, whether that's teaching school, or teaching a Sunday school class, or teaching a ladies Bible study, or giving a topic at our small groups, 
I think it is never okay for you to excuse yourself and say, well, I don't, I don't have that gift. And so we just do sort of a bad job and we don't put ourselves into it. We don't prepare. Uh, that, that is not, I, do, I, just, I just don't think that's what God intends for us at all. Rather, when you give that topic, when you teach that class, do that responsibility using the gift that you have. So if you have a serving gift, teach that Sunday school class with that as your motivation. Use the gift that you have in the responsibility that you've been given. I personally had some chance to uh, discuss with some of you, and after uh, I preached the last time, somebody um, said something about uh, personality types, and we have these um, disc profiles, and we have temperaments, and we have, uh, yeah, just um, Enneagrams, and there's just, there's just a, seems like more of these lists than there ever have been to analyze people's personalities. And I, I would like to submit at least this aspect. I'm not insisting that I'm seeing it all. While there are clear overlaps, while there are clearly ways in which this overlaps, I think there are still some unique and automatic differences. For instance, the fact that you're a human means that you have a personality type. The fact that you have your five senses, you exercise them in ways, there's, there's things that, that uh, become obvious to you because of your experiences and your background. That's normal. That's, that's just the fact that you're human. I, I think that the Bible teaches, according to these lists, that these gifts have also, while they may overlap and do overlap, they have been gifts that have been given by God through the Holy Spirit. And the fact, that fact, I think, distinguishes some of this um, rather, rather clearly as I see it. Let me just um, circle back just a little bit. And I'm using this as an illustration and talking about the, the problem of, of um, using my gift or my primary gift, what I think is my gift, as an excuse not to do things. And I'm saying this because I think that it's possible for us to become too pigeonholed, where we put ourselves in a, in a category, and we think about ourselves in a way that God doesn't intend for us to think. And the illustration would be, in the Old Testament, Moses. Moses led the children of Israel for 40 years, and I think his, I think his spiritual gift was mercy. And if you look at how he went about leadership. And again, this, is, this is, harks to the same idea that I gave. He led from a standpoint of mercy. That didn't mean that he was a bad leader. It didn't mean that he shouldn't be a leader because he had that gift, or he didn't have the gift of administration. He had the gift of mercy. But you can see how when God called him, he had to twist his arm, and he was indecisive at numerous times. And the people criticized Moses to high heaven. And 
it took all of those years of wandering in the wilderness, but it was, it did not diminish in any way God's call on Moses' life. Because God had a, had a plan for the children of Israel in giving them a leader with the gift of mercy. The children of Israel had fallen into idolatry in ways that were surprising there in Egypt, and even prior to that. And if, if for example, Joshua, on the other hand, was an administrator, as close as I can see, there is no word ever of complaint against his leadership style. If Joshua would have been in charge coming out of Egypt, he, I, I want to say this carefully, but I, I suspect that he'd have had them in the promised land in the time that it took to get them there. But that wasn't what God wanted. And the fact that, that Moses had the gift of mercy was what God wanted for that period of time. It couldn't have been more obvious. And secondly, you can see Joshua and Moses surrounded by personalities and giftings that were different than theirs. And the fact that they operated and they did their leadership in that, in that context of a team was something that's just really outstanding to me. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> There's three times in this passage here where it uses this concept. In verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, God hath set the members. God did it. This is God's church. This is God's body. And he's the one that's in charge. He set the members. In verse 24, God hath tempered the body. That word tempered it makes a person think of uh, working with metal. And those of you who enjoy working with metal and creating things from metal, you understand that the way you heat and cool and reheat and cool creates strength in that metal that you're working with. It creates not only hardness, but also elasticity. God hath tempered the body. And again in verse 28, God hath set some. God did it. It is God's choosing. And again, God hath brought you, God has brought us into this group of believers known as Weavertown Church for the purpose of doing what he wants in us and for us in this time that we're in. <clears throat> Again, just important for us to understand that while we have a certain gift, I think we should operate and use that gift in the context that God gives us. And I think that God makes, makes it clear through the church what those responsibilities are probably more frequently in that context than just having me decide what my job is. And I think it's something that, that adds a lot of peace and comfort when I think of it. You've been chosen to do the job that you're doing here at church. It is, it's not something that you just dreamt up, hopefully, but it's something that you have been channeled into. You have been counseled into. You have been given confirmation about that. And you have the capacity to use your gift in that way. And there's multiple ways to use that gift, not just one. So if you have a teaching gift, it doesn't mean that you need to be a pastor of the church. 
If you have a teaching gift, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be a school teacher. You can teach while you're doing something completely unrelated to those. And I certainly are learning what did in some of this. And look at First Peter. Here in the King James Version, it just brings out the idea that we have been entrusted with something. We have been entrusted with a gift, a privilege, a responsibility. And that's an awesome responsibility. The gift that God, through the Holy Spirit, has placed in our lives is something that is of value to Him. And He wants us to, to do that. And we need to conduct ourselves in a way that honors that gift, that does not betray it. Our goal is to please the one who entrusted us with what is valuable to him. And Peter instructs us here that God has given us these gifts, and he expects us to use these gifts. The gifts that you and I have been given are not heirlooms to set on the fireplace mantle and collect dust. They are to be used. The gift that God has placed in your life is for the purpose of benefiting the whole. Selfishness is not an option. We need to be good stewards of what God has blessed us. And as we serve, let's purpose to use God's gifts for God's purposes and give God the glory. I'm going to read this verse in the King James Version. In my next slide, I have it in the Living Translation. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. As every man hath received a gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as, do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And now in the Living Bible. God hath given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. Are you called to preach? Then preach as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. When you and I don't use our gift, we cheat God out of the gift, out of the honor that is intended for him. We cheat the church out of a blessing. The Holy Spirit has placed a tool in your hand and for God's sake, use it. Put it to practice. I want to thank you, Weavertown. I want to thank you for how you've used your gifts, and you are using your gift. My prayer is that this sermon and this series of sermons has been a challenge for you and would instruct you to continue to humbly use your gifts. Let's kneel together for prayer. Lord, our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask your guidance and direction, your sense of purpose in our lives. 
as we go through each day in the coming days, we pray that you would help us to use the gifts that you have given to us in the ways in which the opportunities lend themselves. I pray that you would help us to, to do it well, to respect each other and the giftings that, that um, are present, not only here at church, but in our families and in our workplaces. I pray that you would just grant us uh, the understanding and the wisdom not to see each other as rivals, but as com- as complementary to each other. I ask, Lord, for wisdom, for guidance, for insight for all of us, and help us to do what you have called us to do, individually and as families and as, as a church. Thank you again for your word and how it speaks to us. Thank you for Jesus Christ and how he lived in, in, um, in the world, lived among men, became like unto his brothers, and served while he was here on earth. And thank you for that object and that illustration. And I pray that you would help all of us to do what is ours to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.